Welcome. It's wonderful to see so many smiling faces or intense faces. We're all at a different place. I'm going to start. Um, what does it mean to be stuck? Have we been there? Yes. This is what Jennifer was talking about. Being aware of thoughts and emotions and being in a place where we don't know how to move on. She talked about anger, and I didn't put my hand up because my stuck place traditionally has been fear rather than anger. It looks different, but it's basically the same thing. Um, we're in a place where we are not able to make a decision, or let's say we don't know how to make a decision that gives us a different outcome. We're in this pattern. And for most of us, those patterns have been around since we were children. And, and that's part of why we can't figure out what to do with it. It's part of our lives. It's part of our identity. But that isn't the way God made us. And what I want to do is give you two tools that are part of being free, part of getting free. And it is a lifetime work. This is not come in and learn three easy lessons and you're going to walk out and never have to deal with this again. This is learning how to do it. Learning how, because there's going to be situations, maybe not every day of your life, but often enough to where you really, you need to go know where to go. What do I do with this junk on the inside of me, the way I feel that I don't like and I don't know what to do with? Um, a two-minute testimony of my life is that when I was 25, um, I came home one morning from working nights as an RN in a hospital and found my husband on the couch with another woman. Whoa, that was not expected, right? Um, and that, that started a, a major change in which way we're going, which way my life was going. I was not a believer, although I grew up in church. Had a lot of head knowledge. But in that place of this is so overwhelming, I remember saying to God, if you, don't, if you don't help me, if you're real, please do. But if you don't help me, um, somebody's going to die here. Me or him. Me or them. The good part was there was no weapons in the house or it would have been done. <laughs> but the coolest thing is that I felt God hug me. This little Christian Reform girl had no language for that, no experience for that. I had no idea that he was that real. And it stopped, uh, it stopped things right away, which was good. That was 1975. Um, for two years, I fought suicide because the story of rejection and abandonment was a lifetime story that was engraved on the inside. And so my ex's behavior just put that large and in charge, you know, in my face. So how do you get from that 
to today? Well, it's not overnight. The stuff that got laid down on the inside of us did not happen overnight. It was day after day after day, things that we didn't know what to do with, and we believed the lies of the enemy. So the first thing that to me is probably the most important tool, and I call it a tool, I'm not sure that's the only way to describe it, for every believer, if you are a disciple of Jesus, this should be part of everyday life, is forgiveness. Do we know that we need to forgive? Yes, we learn that very early. Do we know how? Do we know how to effectively forgive another person's sin against us? If we cannot effectively forgive, then we cannot be free of their sin. That's the beginning. So the first verse I have here, and that's what goes on the top line next to the arrow. Make sure I'm not messing this up. Right here, Mark 11, verse 25 and 26. And when you stand praying, forgive, if you have aught against any, that your Father also which is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. Okay, so what are you doing at the beginning of those verses? Mark eleven twenty five, And when you stand praying. This is you, the center figure underneath the figure of God. And you can write me under it so you know. This is a conversation between you and God. There's no other person involved in that. And this is the first and most important place where forgiveness has to happen. This is what God is saying, and it is not if you want to. It's when you stand praying, if you have ought, if you have anything against anyone, that covers it all, right? Forgive, 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 forgive. Not if you want to, not a suggestion, a command. So that's what goes here, command. Whoops, nope, wrong. Well, you can leave it there. The, the, the second thing was supposed to be praying and then command under. It's our sequence. So when you stand praying, you're talking to God, the command is forgive. How do you do that? Most of us learned as children to say, I forgive you, right? We learned how to say, I'm sorry, right? When we did something to a sibling or whatever, our parents taught us, this is how we respond. The problem is that those things are not forgiveness. They are the habit, they are the pattern, but they're not the real thing. What is the real thing of forgiveness? So take 10 seconds. Who do you need to forgive? What situation do you need to forgive? On the corner of your paper, write a name, a date, a place, something that for you says, oh, that thing, that's what comes to mind first. And God knows what he wants to start with. So we just do whatever comes to mind. Make a note. Okay. How did we receive forgiveness? 
um, in, let's see, Hebrews 9.22, it says, um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read it accurately so I don't just give you my translation. Almost all things are by the law purged with blood. So under the law, almost everything is cleansed with blood. And without shedding of blood, there is no remission, right? Big word basically means forgiveness. Without shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. So when we came to Jesus, we came for forgiveness of sin and cleansing. 1 John 1, 9 and 10. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We came to him because we needed him. We needed him to cleanse our hearts. And so that was by his blood, right? That's what Calvary was all about. That's what the cross was all about. The blood made it possible for us to be forgiven. So when we need to forgive someone else, we go back to that same blood. I have a wooden cross in my house that's about six and a half feet tall, made out of barn beams. And it speaks to me very loudly. When I need to forgive somebody, that's what the picture that comes to my mind. So when someone does something against me, something that hurts me, something that offends me in some way, a sin, I have to bring their sin to that cross the same way I go to the cross for my own, right? When you needed forgiveness, when you wanted to come into relationship with Jesus, is that when he went to the cross for you? No. He did it 2,000 years ago, approximately. And the blood has been present and available for each one of us since then just waiting for us to turn to him. And so when we do, we receive it. Now, when I'm dealing with someone else's sin against me, I am going back to that same blood and I am agreeing with God that the blood of Jesus is enough for the sin that someone committed against me. That that is a principle of the kingdom of God, that the blood of Jesus is enough. The blood of Jesus is the foundation. And forgiveness and mercy are principles of the kingdom of God. That's why he says, if you do not forgive, neither can I forgive you. Because we then would be wanting to receive what we need and refusing it for someone else. So what I do and what God commands us to do is to take this sin and bring it to him and say, God, this is what they did. This is the way my husband talked to me. This is what that person did to me. And it's caused me pain. I don't know what to do with it. So I'm bringing it to you. And I agree with you that the blood of Jesus is enough for their sin. By, by that fact, 
I choose to forgive them and put their sin against me on the cross. That's forgiveness. It's agreeing with God, agreeing with the blood of Jesus. It doesn't make it right what they did. It doesn't make it okay. It doesn't mean I have to trust that person. They've broken trust, right? So trust is not automatic. They might have to re-earn it. But my heart has come into alignment and into agreement with my Father God and with the blood of Jesus. So that becomes my starting place. That's the beginning. And this is commanded no matter what we do with that person or their offense after. This is the place where I need to be to begin with the next step. So the next one, we're going to say this person, so in your box, next to this person to the right, we write offender. This person is the offender. This is the person I brought to God, right? My ex-husband. God, he was horrible. He never talked to me. He just rejected me, just decided to be unfaithful. And what do I do with this? So we're going to go to Luke 17, verse 3 and 4. And you can write that above the line. You can have the whole diagram here. It says, take heed to yourself. Ooh, pay attention to yourself. Did we hear something about that this morning? The verse that goes with that is Proverbs 4.23, which also um, was spoken this morning and yesterday. Guard your heart, for from it flow the issues of life. If your heart, if you don't handle things well, your heart is wounded and damaged and overweighed, burdened down, broken. So... So Jesus, red letter words, is saying, take heed to yourself. Pay attention to yourself. Why? Because things come against you, and you are responsible for your own heart. No one else is. That person who's mean, who's cruel, they are not responsible for your heart. When things are said or done, you choose whether the door is open to your own heart. My pastor one time said um, he was walking through Myers in, in uh, Granville and somebody started yelling at him in one of the aisles about something he preached or something like that. He never saw the person before. It's like, this is really, really weird. He walked away, no problem. It did not bother him. I don't know you, you're acting weird. If his wife would say it, it would be something different, right? So it's the people closest to us, but we still have authority over our own heart and what we allow in or out, whether we believe the lie that comes at us. So we're in charge. If your brother trespass against you, rebuke him. And if he repent, forgive him. So the word for here is if. Do we normally rebuke? What does rebuke mean anyway? Confront, right? Confront. Do we normally confront? No, we're too nice for that. We stew, 
we sometimes gossip, sometimes curse. But Jesus is really clear here. Rebuke. If something causes you pain and you process it with God, then next you need to ask God, do I need to say something to that person? Because if I don't say anything, they're going to go on and do it over and over again. They don't know, right? And so I need to go to them and say, when you said this, that hurt. I was hurt by that. I have to own it, my emotion. I was hurt. And see what they say. Don't tell them you forgave them because they have not repented, right? It says, if he trespass against you, rebuke him. And if he repent, forgive him. He doesn't have to know about this because this is now his opportunity. If he says, ah, you have a thin skin, grow up. Is that repent? No, that's not repent. So we, we wait and see what they say. And if they don't repent, we don't say anything. We don't say, I forgive you. We don't say, that's okay, because it's not okay. They might say, oh my gosh, I'm sorry that you feel that way. I did not intend for you to think that. This is what I was thinking. And then you can go, no big deal. Because the enemy likes to get in our conversations and stir stuff up. So we don't want to just believe everything we think and feel. So the other one that we have to look at is Matthew 5, 23 and 24. Whoops. And so it's going to go here. Matthew 5, 23 and 4. But I say to you that whoever is... Whoops. Oh, no. Here we go. 23. Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar and remember that your brother has aught against you, leave your gift before the altar and go your way. First, be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. So on this side, the box should say offended. This is where I've been the offender. Because I want to tell you, I'm not perfect. You know, I can say or do things without realizing what it's going to do to someone else. And so, again, red letter words, Jesus' words, what are you doing? You're worshiping and you remember. You think the Holy Spirit's working here? He wants things right. Leave your gift. And in my New American, it says go. So I like that. I'm going to put that here. Go. Go and make things right. Be reconciled to your brother. And then come and offer your gift. You know, worship, prayer, whatever your gift is, it doesn't mean a lot if we have our hearts hard against a brother. And so when you see the picture, you can see that it really doesn't matter what offense happens or why. We all have at least one place where God gives us direction for action. So this is the beginning of being free. God told me, I don't know, maybe it was more than five years ago. I was working in my kitchen, washing dishes probably, and God said to me, you are no longer allowed to decide what things mean. Because 
that's self-defense, right? You're constantly evaluating everything, figuring out what does it mean? How do I be safe? And it's not my husband's fault. He is a good man. If it's anybody's fault, it's my dad's, right? Because they're the big ones when we're small. He says, you're no longer allowed to decide what things mean. Okay, so what do I do <laughs> if I can't decide what it means? He said, I want you to bring it to me and I will tell you the truth. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh. The truth is what you want mm -hmm. more than anything. And so for me, most of the time I can remember, this is the place where I, I need to take whatever was said or done to God and choose to agree with the blood of Jesus over that issue and that person and then ask him, what was that all about? Where's the truth in that? So a very funny story, which I really don't have time for, but it's helpful. Two days after God said that to me, my husband was really mad about something. I don't even remember what, neither does he. So he's standing in the same kitchen with me, really telling me how frustrated he is with me probably something I didn't do. I have no clue. And so, you know, you're standing that far apart and he's not yelling, but he's yelling. You know, it's like you can see all the force, the frustration. And I remember what God said. So he's talking to me and I'm talking to God. Okay, here it is. <laughs> What's the truth in here? Because he's really mad. And normally I would want to like run away, escape because there's this angry adult male in front of me. And God said to me, this is not about you. This is a Kairos moment. I knew what Kairos was. For those who don't know, it's a, um, it's a Greek word that means um, an appointed time. And there's a conference by that name where you come and talk to God about your own stuff. And God changes things. So what God was saying to me was, there's something I'm going to talk to him about. This is not about you. This is about my work in his heart. Notice God did not tell me about what he was going to talk to, God, to David about. It's none of my business. David told me later. But that's his right. Or his right not to. But on the inside of me to know it's not about me. I didn't do anything. Was immediately freeing. He said later, he watched my eyes change as he was talking to me. And it was so confusing to him, he just said, well, we'll talk about this later. And he walked out of the room. <laughs> so it, it's freedom for each individual. We each have things, and our men, our children, each have things that God wants to deal with. Places we've been wounded, the same as he, whoops, the same as he is God for us, Holy Spirit for us, healer and deliverer for us. He is that for all the people in our lives. And so the more we walk in freedom, the more we learn about freedom, the more we do not dance the dance of fear and pain and bondage in our homes. So for every step of freedom we find 
It ministers freedom to all of the people around us. It is so worth it, even when it's awkward and uncomfortable and maybe they don't like how we're different. It still is helpful for them because they begin to see their own brokenness, which maybe they didn't see before. Okay, flip it because it's already way late and I don't... Okay, I'm not going to write it in. I'm just going to tell you, I think. So the picture with the chair on it. Um, there are times. There are times when things happen, and and then we have this interior language going on, right? You ever had someone uh, do something or say something, or maybe not do or say, and on the inside, either you get angry or you feel sad. There's like this emotional response to whatever just happened. Oh, you know what I'm realizing? We didn't forgive. We talked about it and we didn't do it. So that situation that you wrote on the corner. Let's take a minute right here and now before we move on. Um, And I'm going to ask you to just follow me in this in your situation. Right? You can see that place, that person, that time. And I'm going to pray for us, but I'm going to ask you to pray along with me out of your own will. And if you can, even just whisper, use your voice. So, Father God, you know what happened. You know what happened to me. I bring the situation to you and the the pain that came out of it, the confusion, the anger, the hopelessness. And I'm, I'm not understanding it all, but you do. I confess to you, Father, that this thing has had power over me. It has had power in my life that you don't want it to have. So I'm bringing you the person involved that sinned against me. And I choose this day to agree with the blood of Jesus that if they ever turn to you and repent, you are quick to forgive. That your blood, Lord Jesus, is enough to cleanse them, to heal them, to give them a new start. So I'm agreeing with your blood today. I'm agreeing with your blood now that that blood has power in this situation. I choose to put their sin against me on the cross of Jesus, under that blood, and I leave it with you. It's not my job to make it right. That's your job. So I release them to you, and I ask you, as I have forgiven that sin, I ask you to step into this place in my heart where there's pain. And I ask you to bring comfort and healing. I ask you to cleanse me of the effect of their sin. All the things that have happened because of their sin. I ask that you would cleanse me of that. That you would bring freedom and deliverance from every part of it as I begin to understand it and process it. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Mm. Okay, so 
in the first box on the top, write negative event. We all have negative events, right? Either we're in a negative event or we're coming out of one or there's one coming after us. It's just life. Negative things happen. And by themselves, they're not nice. But the worst part is what comes next. The box at 3 o'clock, write the word lies. Have we heard that word today? Yeah, we have. Whatever happened as a negative event, the original negative events, the lies are more painful. The things we believe because of what happened. That hurts more than what happened. You know, my dad yelling at me is a negative event. It's scary for a kid. But it's harder to believe that, it's more painful to believe that I can never please him, that who I am is not enough, that I don't matter. Those things are much more painful than just being yelled at. That's why the one time being yelled at doesn't mean a whole lot. But when you're yelled at every week, it means a lot more. Right? So we all have negative events that we interpret. And the things we believe because of the negative events have to be dethroned. We have allowed those lives, lies in. There was nobody to tell us that thing doesn't mean what you thought it meant when you were five. When we were five, there was no one we could go to and say, what about this? And they would say, oh, don't believe that. It doesn't have anything to do with you. It has everything to do with us if we don't know. So out of the lies we believe, we make judgments. We determine value. That's really what a judgment does. It determines value. So a few years back when I started some training stuff on freedom, I was really irregular on being able to hear God. So I went and talked to somebody who was further along than me, and she said, the, um, the most common thing, if you have trouble hearing God, the most common thing is that there's someone you haven't forgiven, or there's someone where there's a judgment standing. Okay, well, that's not real hard to figure out who that would be, uh, Dad. And so we just prayed together and asked God, what, what kind of judgment do I have against him? And I saw my father's face bigger than life and the word monster written on his forehead. I had no idea that was inside me. I've never used that word toward him, not, not in my thoughts. But God showed me that my little girl brain was that afraid of my father and that was the that was the identity that I put on him God did not but I did and until I could deal with that I could not move ahead with God because I was disobeying him he says we don't have the right to judge I was judging a piece of my father but God knows all of my father so judgments act. How many of you have been camping? What happens if you don't put a tent peg in your tent to hold your tent in place? It doesn't stay in place, right? Um, 
same if you're putting a dog out on a chain. You better have something to hold him. Judgments act as tent pegs for the lies we believe. So the fact that I saw my dad as a monster and I labeled him with that acted to hold me um, prisoner to lies about my identity and my possibilities, my future. So part of being free of the lie is being willing to repent for the judgment. We're going through this and, and then I'm hoping we can climb our way out of it. From the judgment and the, the lies in judgment, those things are painful, you know? The lies are painful. And so we want to defend ourselves against it. And that's the word that goes in the bottom box, the six o'clock box, defense, where defense is. What, what are ways that we defend ourselves? <coughs> yeah, withdrawal. That's, that's basically what isolation does. Yeah. There's really, if you think about, we've all heard about adrenaline, right? And the adrenaline response, freeze, flight, or fight. Those are the three ways that we defend ourselves. And we can, we can be geared toward one. Okay, I'm geared toward running. I can run really quick. Sometimes not even leave the room, but I'm gone. Mm-hmm. Right? We know that. Some people are more assertive, more active. They want to take charge of the situation so to make it come out right. They're all defenses. But what does God say about defenses? He says he wants to be our protector. But if I take that place, he cannot. He won't compete. Um, He showed me one time a picture of me standing with my arms crossed with my back to my own heart. It was really big. And I'm like this black SWAT suit and a submachine gun. (laughs) Uh, You know, like, you got to be safe, right? You got to be safe. And so it was like, God, what do I do? What do I do with that? He says, yeah, I was defending it. Right, right. We close our hearts. Um, He said, give me the gun. Okay. Later he showed me I was still in the same position even though I had no gun. Um, Much less effective. You're more effective with a gun. But he's more effective than I am with or without a gun. Right? So... We choose to defend ourselves, and really those defenses are how we survived a lot of things. We made it through whatever was awful. But those ways of making it through do not work so well for us now. As a child, I can run away, I can hide, and it's not a big deal. But the 70-year-old me is really strange when she hides. It is just really weird. And other people pick up on our weirdness. They don't know what's wrong, but they know something is. Um, And so in that place of defense, often, and the word that goes on the line, often we make vows. You heard that word this morning. Vows are basically promises we make ourselves. 
and they have the word always or never in them. And I've discovered some of mine. These things always happen to me. Um, I'll never get married and have kids of my own. It's a lie, isn't it? But there was a time when that truth, lie, but truth to me at the moment, ruled my life. I was suicidal for two years because of things that I believed. If people knew me, they wouldn't like me. You know, so it's better to keep people at a distance. Just so many lies, but you don't know. They feel true. Circumstances have taught us that they're true. Does that make them true? No. It does make them our experience. It is our experience. But that does not mean that it's true. They're the facts, but not the truth. Right? Isn't a lot of the kingdom of God about truth rather than facts? So we have to deal with this. So the next box to the left is on the nine o'clock slot is others' responses. If I act weird, I don't know I'm acting weird. It's normal for me. Other people will go, mm, there's something about her. I don't know what's wrong there, but it makes me uncomfortable. I'm not going to. I'm not going to get too close. Who knows what's going to happen? And their avoidance creates more negative events, right? It reinforces the lies that are going on on the inside of me. And so we have this cycle of thoughts and emotions. How do we get unstuck? How do we get unstuck? Who wants to know? Okay, two hands. You want to know? You ready? Yes. Okay. The chair in the middle is the throne of God, or I should say the throne of our heart. I discovered, God showed me that as I worked through this for the first time, that he was not on the throne of my heart, at least not consistently. The throne of my heart was me protecting myself making sure I was safe, avoiding pain. And, and we learn. No one else is going to do it. We have to do it, right? But that's where he challenged me. If he is truly my Lord and King, then I have choices to make about where I'm willing to go with him and what I'm willing to do. He doesn't promise that just because he lives in us that things will not be hard. Sometimes it will be very hard. But obedience has a reward. One of the rewards is relationship with him. When he shows us something, responding to him in, in obedience brings life on the inside of us. So we cannot avoid negative events. They just happen to everybody. We cannot control other people. They decide what they're going to do. But we can control what lies we allow in, and we can control what we do with the lies that we have received. They, some of them have been around for a long time, right? I feel like some of them have roots that go down to my toenails, and only God can help me see them and get them out. But he wants to do that. 
Um, and the, the ways that we respond to things are our choices. No one's behavior toward us forces us to respond a certain way. We have choices. Sometimes we don't know what they are yet, but we do have choices. Um, otherwise, everyone who had an unfaithful spouse would have a dead spouse, right? It would be automatic, and the law wouldn't put any of us in jail. It would just be one plus one equals two. But there are choices. So um, I would like to do some praying through this. When I go through this, typically the negative event is the piece that, because you can come into this cycle anywhere and use it as a tool. A, um, it's a recipe that you can step in at any point and start asking God questions. Something negative happens, my emotions tell me how I'm responding to it, right? Ouch, that hurt. Or I'm frustrated, why is he saying that again? You know, why is this happening again? So the question is first to ask God, is there a lie that I'm believing? And so let's do that. Let's take two minutes. You know that God speaks to you, and he speaks to each one of us differently. Some of us will see pictures. Other people hear words. Sometimes we feel his presence, like that hug for me. Nonverbal, nonvisual, tactile, right? A feeling thing. So let's ask him. Father, we're here and we all have stuff that we want you to unravel for us. So we're beginning by putting you in charge of the process here. We're putting you in charge of the truth for our lives. You're in charge of the truth for my life and helping me to see it and take hold of it. And we're asking, Father, is there a lie that we believe? Is there a lie that I believe? Would you show us, please? And Father, in this place of believing something that's not true, have I judged? Have I judged myself? Have I judged someone else? Will you show me what that is? And Father, in that place of pain, how do I defend myself? How have I tried to protect myself? Mm -hmm. How have I tried to protect myself? And what kind of vows have I made? Mm -hmm. So Jesus, we bring this stuff to you. And we confess that we have done our best to handle it on our own. But it doesn't work. We choose right now to, um, to resign from being in charge. And we ask you to be in charge. We ask you to be the Lord. We ask you to take that place of authority, of responsibility, of um, resource. You are the source for us. And we surrender to you the process of freedom in our lives. We surrender it to you because we can't do it without you. We repent, Lord, for self-will. 
We repent for independence, for not coming to you for answers. We repent, Lord, for making vows in order to feel safe or safer. Those always never things. We repent for those. We do not determine our future. We're not in charge. So we repent for saying and believing and making room for those things. We repent for declaring ourselves victims. We repent for declaring ourselves victors. We don't declare anything of this. We don't make vows. We are yours. So we are not in charge. And we renounce those positions. We renounce vows in Jesus' name, and we break our agreement with them. We repent, Father, for choosing to defend ourselves, for choosing to run. Even though we didn't know any better, we still chose, and we keep choosing. So we repent for that. We repent for the running and avoiding and hiding. We repent for the um, aggressive control of situations, looking for the outcome that feels right to us. And we give you permission to be the protector, the defender of our hearts above all. You said, Father, that painful things would happen but that you would never abandon us in a place of pain, that you would be present. And we can face everything painful with you, and you will help. So we're asking for that as we face painful things, that you would be present and that you would speak truth. Thank you that you are the source of truth. Lord Jesus, you said you were the way, the truth, and the life. So we trust you and we depend on you. And we bring you the judgments, Father, the ways that we judged ourselves and others, and sometimes the ways that we judged you, the value that we declared over people and situations. And we repent for that. You've said that you are the judge, and you haven't given us permission. We repent for judgments, and we renounce them. We renounce the judgments against our parents, against our spouses, against our children, against ourselves. We repent for that, and we break our agreement with those words that we spoke or that we received in Jesus' name. Mm -hmm. And Father, we go back to the negative events that we didn't know how to deal with, those things so many of them were overwhelmingly wrong and they broke us. They broke us in ways we don't even understand. Thank you for your faithfulness that you lead us out of the bondage and the trap that brokenness can be. And Father, we bring to you the people that put us there. Maybe they understood, maybe they didn't, regardless. They sinned against us. They did things that were so damaging. It was wrong. And we declare that before you, that their sin does not reflect your heart toward us. Their sin does not reflect who we are. And we choose to put their sin under the blood of Jesus. We choose that. We cover it with the blood. 
and we choose to forgive them. They will no longer have real estate in our minds and hearts. No more. No more. They belong to you, Jesus. What they've done is yours to handle. And I ask, Father, that as we process this, where we're not all in the same place, that you would be the voice of truth for us, that you would be the, um, the source of hope as we process what's happened and even the things we've done to ourselves out of that broken place. We ask, Father, for cleansing and forgiveness fully clean, fully free hearts. We ask for that blood of Jesus over us to cleanse our hearts and minds of all unrighteousness. And we thank you for it. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. It's a process, right? It's not over in a day. Some of this stuff will come back. Thoughts will come back. Does that mean that you failed today? No. No. Sometimes what it means is that you did not do a complete work. How many of you have cleaned out your refrigerator? You wiped it down, and like a week later, something doesn't smell good in there? There was something you should have thrown away that you didn't. Right? So we do the best we know how. We don't always know how. We don't always know how to say to God, when they did this, this is what happened inside of me. This is what they did to me. Sometimes it's not comfortable accusing the people we love of sinning against us. So we kind of want to whitewash it. Can we make it pretty? It wasn't so bad. Because it means we have to look at what they did against us. It was so bad, and it was so wrong. And it really did damage. And I don't like to think about that, but we have to. So going back for more does not mean failure. It means we're in process. We're in process. And being in process is the best place to be. We're getting free, okay? Look for people around you you can talk to. Like Jennifer said, find safe people. People who have the heart of God want to be safe for you. They do. They want to be safe for you because safety is the place where we find freedom, where we can really take off all the defenses and be real. Yay. Y'all are awesome. Thank you. Anybody? Thank you.